Thank you. Thank you, my brother. It just reminds me in Africa that uh, when you're a mother and a wife, you have more authority, eh? <laughs> and it increases your years of experience. <laughs> so thank you so much. It yeah. is uh, nice to be with you today. And uh, what I'm going to share with you is uh, none of my doing. It's the Lord's doing. I think that's what he was reminding me this morning, that the, the glory is his and the work is his. The work is his and he preserves us so that we can do his work and his name can be glorified. I also come here, uh, again, not alone, but working uh, with a team. A team at Center for Urban Mission and also uh, Carlisle College. Carlisle College uh, was started uh, by a missionary from the UK whose vision was uh, to set up training in... Uh, the not-so-fortunate communities in Kenya. And at the time, uh, the eastlands of Nairobi, uh, those of us who are Kenyans, were, were the areas where uh, the Africans would settle. Uh, and that's where one of our campuses of Carlisle College is situated. But even now, uh, one of the characteristics of the Eastlands, if I can ask one Kenyan, is what? Sorry? Slums, yes. And crime, a lot of crime uh, around the Eastlands. So again, we feel that we are strategically placed where God really wants us to be and where God really wants us to serve. So again, he's telling us, it, it's not about you, it's me who keeps you there. And as we continue, I'll be sharing with you some of the realities that make us always remember day to day that what we are doing is God's ministry. So another campus that we have set up is in, in, in Kibera, so that as we teach and, uh, and learn from God and learn from the communities, the people we teach, like uh, Joel Sorti, who is just walking in as one of our students, studied right in the heart of, of Kibera, right in the heart of the slum. So that when we are learning, we are still interacting with communities, and we are asking ourselves, after I finish my learning at Carlisle College, uh, what is the relevance of this theory? How can I put it into practice? So that's about Carlisle College. But Carlisle College has a department which we call the Center for Urban Mission. And that's the department from which I come from. That is the story I'll be sharing today. So we'll, we'll as an outline, just to share with you, I'll share a little bit about what uh, Center for Urban Mission does in a video. I hope we will be able to play that for you. Um, we'll, we'll take some time, just a few minutes, understand Integral Mission, or really how we understand Integral Mission at the Center for Urban Mission. And then we'll look at uh, the experience of a local church and how that local church is demonstrating Integral Mission the best way it knows how to. And, and really just sharing with you our experiences, but please, uh, I will be very happy to hear I know Josephine is working in Drongai, an informal settlement, getting there, an urban area. Uh, and, and really, I'll be really happy.
to learn from you and so that we can experience together and grow together. Let me put that for you. I need to learn how to delegate. Eh? Okay, let me do that. Timothy, please help. I got to know Timothy yesterday. So, um. cool. But perhaps 55% of the population are living on just 5% of the land. We live in a very divided city. So it seems to us that the place where the church really needs to be present and active and ministering in a sustainable and transforming way is right here in the heart of the slum. For the last eight years I've lived in Kibera and worked in Kibera. I've observed a number of challenges which I believe is common to most of the slums. Top on the list is poverty. But poverty is a product of many forces. Centre for Urban Mission began in 2003 and its main mission is to work with the local churches to support them so that they can transform their informal settlements, the communities that they live in. Now, Centre for Urban Mission has six programs. Um, our entry point is the discipleship program to the churches, desensitizing them on the need for them to transform their communities. We have a program for pastors, a one-year program, where we basically teach them how to teach and preach the Word of God. We have a Christian empowerment program. We have a HIV program. We have a children's ministry program. And we have a youth development program. We are working with about 150 churches around the city. We begin with holistic discipleship. How do you love God and love your neighbor at the same time? And how do you do that practically? How does a church serve a local community? And then we equip uh, pastors and church leaders with specific skills in economic empowerment, uh, in children's ministries, and in youth ministry. My name is Pastor Moses Otunga. I'm the pastor of Kaola Tumaini. Kaola Tumaini simply means a shelter of hope. And our main mission here is to restore hope to the hopeless community. Kaula Tumaini has various community development programs which includes providing education to children in the slums. We also have a church which has a holistic approach bringing transformation in the lives of people in the slums. of uh, economic empowerment mobilizes churches so that the churches can be able to mobilize their members and members of their specific communities to start small savings groups using the small resources that they have and when they come together through social capital they can be able to raise resources to help them as a group. Our work with Center for Urban Mission has been to work with the churches to build their capacity so that they can be agents of transformation just to see that we leave Korogosho a better place than we found it. And um, we've had programs that try to address this. Uh, personally, when I came in, I, was, I came in as a, as a youth specialist coming to work on, in terms of behavior change communication, uh, getting the church to have the capacity to be able to address issues affecting the young people, how they can be economically empowered, and how, most of all, they can be able to make very informed choices in life, and choosing some of the most economically productive activities that do not also put them at risk and above all just to bring them closer to God.
Okay. Thank you so much, Timothy. I was telling him lunch is on me today. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, and David, thank you. So just a, a small snapshot on, on what we do. But just to be, bring a little uh, emphasis is that we are working in the informal settlements, okay? Uh, that's where we feel that the Lord has called us. And we are working with the local churches in those informal settlements, a center for urban mission. And we see then our vision being to transform their informal settlements through the ministry of the local church. How that is so real for us is that uh, is that if there is no local church in that informal settlement, we will not be present. For us, we see ourselves as catalysts, but the local church being the implementer, being that agent of change to bring about transformation. So really embracing the local church and the role that it can play. We know the local church has challenges, like any other institution has. But we have decided this is the vehicle, and we know this is the vehicle that God has given us here on earth to bring about change with its benefits and with, with its challenges. And I think for me, my understanding of, of transformation is, is just in this picture of this girl. Um, just a beautiful smile, just the, the happiness, not regarding the circumstances around us. So for me, understanding holistic transformation as when, I think because I smile, but when I can afford a smile, when I feel everything is well, it is well with my soul, regardless of what else is happening in my environment, I am at peace with the realization that I know my God is, my God is in control. So for me, um, and we'll still understand as we go along, just bring a, f a little light on what um, transformation is. But really this picture for me just brings all that uh, clearly out. So transformation, holistic transformation, just following uh, on that, a center for urban mission, uh, we, following the Mika declaration, chose to have our mission work as being integral, okay? Our mission work has been integral. Integral meaning, again, using the same holistic transformation. Integral meaning that the proclamation of God's word has social consequences. And our social consequences, too, have evangelistic implications. And I know some of us are working in the mission field. Eh? The proclamation has social consequences. I don't know if any one of us is here and has realized that. Evangelism, preaching the word of God, has social consequences. Is there someone who has an example that can... Elaborate that a little better. Okay, I'm going to give practical in what I'm doing in the community I'm working on. Praise God. My name is Nancy. I work in a community called Kibagar Islam. 
It's a slum with so many prostitutes and so many drunkards. So, well, I, I want to learn this one, reaching the community through churches from Nancy, but I also want to tell you what we've done. We go to the community and evangelize. And the moment we evangelize, those prostitutes and those drunkards, they get saved. So consequently, they change their ways of life. They stop drinking, so we economically empower them to change their lives. So I'm actually telling you the, the impact, the transformation after evangelizing in their social lives. I hope that makes sense, Nancy. Because, and thank you for that excellent example. There are these persons addicted to alcohol. There are these commercial sex workers. And we are, as we are proclaiming the word of God, we are calling them to the love of God and repentance in all the areas of their life. So, so we, we as a church, we as agents of change, we as missionaries, we as doctors, we as the children of God need to be giving solutions to then where do I get food tonight? I have given my life to Christ now. Thank you very much. I have been wanting to do that. But how am I going to feed my children tonight? So that's the big question that our churches need to be answering. Again, our social involvement has evangelistic consequences. Esther, does that statement hold any truth? Our social involvement has evangelistic consequences. Anyone with a testimony that elaborates that? Esther has told me, turn around, because I think I know her story. But why I also mentioned her is because uh, one of the things you've seen, we have a children's ministry program. The best people to bring their parents to, to church Ahu, are children. And we've seen children saying, Mom, Dad, please come with me to the church that has opened its doors for me to go to school there on Monday to Friday. Please come and meet my pastor. Come and meet my teacher who is a volunteer but serves in the church. That our social involvement has evangelistic consequences. And therefore... For us, as Center for Urban Mission, we see that that is our role. That justice, that justification by faith, that worship, that social action, that spiritual and material changes of a person being belongs together. Belongs together. And so that's what we, we hope to do. But also emphasis also on the, the Jesus' growth. I think one of the breakout sessions yesterday brought that out. So that as we are ministering, that was talking about children. But to the whole of the community, we are embracing Luke 252. Okay? The total growth of a human being. The total growth of even uh, that, that community. So let me share with us then... Uh, a story that is picked from uh, one of the local communities that we work with. And let's see how they are, are going through the transformation in their community. Korogosho. 
And I, I want you to take a journey with me as I paint a picture of a transforming church in the informal settlements of Korogosho. I want you to put your pen down and your, you can hold it, but just put it aside. And I want you to trust me and I want you to close your eyes. Please check if your neighbor has closed their eyes. Now you're not trusting me because I asked you to close your eyes. Just for two minutes. And let me paint. Let, let us take a ride to Korogosho. Korogosho is an informal settlement in Nairobi. One of 200 informal settlements, commonly known as slums. Korogosho, from a Kikuyu word, meaning rubbish, is 11 kilometers from the city. When rubbish gets into this community, it is no longer useless. It's actually gold, and it is sold for an income. Korogosho has a population of 150,000 people living in 1.5 square kilometers. Initial residents were mainly rural immigrants, initially arriving into the slum in 1960. Half of Korogosho is government land, and the other half is private land. The settlement has only two city council schools that are supporting 4,000 children. 70% of the population in Korogosho is less than 30 years old. 70% of the population in Korogosho is less than 30 years old. Korogosho is further characterized by unemployment, high levels of crime, and for those who may be thinking that crime is just the business of the boys, you're mistaken. Because girls are the ones who are carrying the guns and delivering them to the crime scenes for their boy colleagues. Korogosho is characterized with street children, commercial sex work from the age of 10, rape, drug addiction, domestic violence, among other vices. Now, I want you to open your eyes and meet Pastor Maina Mushemi. Pastor Maina, very joyful and a pastor working in this community. Pastor Maina, Pastors a church in Korogosho, that community we talked about, and his church is called Calvary Worship Center, right on the streets of Korogosho. Before we met Pastor Maina at Center for Urban Mission, uh, he, he actually told me he didn't know how he was living. I truly do not know how I was living. 
how are you eating? I truly don't go. I don't know. It was God's miracle because honestly, I did not have any resources. So he said. Pastor Minor at the time was involved in preaching the word of God and, and very aggressive at that. Pastor Minor was struggling, he himself, with poverty and having the I do not have mentality. When I asked Pastor Minor, then how do people within your community uh, get an income? I was shocked. Among other things, but this one in particular really shocked me because it concerns the organizations that we work in. He said, members within his community get an income by attending trainings that are held by faith-based organizations and non-governmental organizations who hold trainings and give seating allowances for those trainings. So that is a source of income. So we think we are transforming people, but we are making them dependent. So for them, they say, ah, no, truly, I would not want to change my life. Because in Korogosho, there are very many non-governmental organizations and FBOs who give us sitting allowance by just coming to sit. So there are some people who are known as professional workshop hoppers to get an income. They want to know which workshops are happening, so they come and sit and get paid from that. A challenge to us, because this, instead of bringing about development, it's depriving communities from being creative and being empowered. Of course, there are other vices uh, that um, Pastor Minor was saying, young people and others in his community get into to get income, and small businesses. But he, we're talking with him about his church, and he said, um, 20 members and a tithe of 20 shillings per month. Per month. Now, pastors, tithe is very important. Eh? <laughs> but really, so when we were talking with him, this really came out very strongly. So uh, then Pastor Minor got involved uh, with what we are doing at Center for Urban Mission. Just to further elaborate what uh, the video presentation uh, showed is the programs that we do with these local churches. So we get a church in the informal settlement like Korogosho, get a church like the one for Pastor Minor and get Pastor Minor involved. And these are the things we, Pastor Minor has been able to um, go through. The first is a training in Samaritan strategy. That's what we call it. But really, it's discipling the church to integral mission. It's taking the church through the word of God, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And then asking the church, okay, then looking also at our cultures, our various cultures, and that how our cultures in, uh, respond to the word of God. But we are also asking the church, are you a relevant church in your community? What do you understand as being the word of God and bringing integral mission within the training? We encourage them to then look at a way in which they can reach out to their community by what we call a seed ministry. So we encourage them to look out 
outside their four walls, reach out to their neighbors, and do something that meets the needs of their community, is used and is resourced through local resources, and is communicating the love of Jesus Christ to their neighbor. And so after this training, they go out and they begin this seed ministry. Some of them begin schools, preschools. And they discover actually we have a church hall that is open for us from Monday to Friday without anything happening, actually Saturday. And we open it on Sunday evening when we want to clean it and then do our church service on Sunday. So they have that resource. Can they reach out to their community? Some of them are doing uh, youth ministry, for example. They, the, the rooms, the houses within the informal settlement are pretty small. A 10 by 10 foot room, which is the bedroom, the sitting room, the bathroom, the, the kitchen, a self-contained house with a family, say, of five to six members in that house. Now, if you're a young person who is sitting their final exam, that room is not conducive for study. And the churches have discovered, wow, we have these resources. We can reach out to our community, meet a need that is there, and reach out to the community. So they go through the Samaritan strategy training, and really telling the church, you've got to be involved in your community. And one big question that we ask, I've, I've shared with you, like for example, Korogosho, this land is half government land, half private land. So if the government came and said they are going to demolish Korogosho today, would the community members come and stand by Calvary Worship Center, Korogosho Church, and say, no, this church makes sense to us. This church, our youth come for training. This church supports our women. This church does this and this. If you're demolishing this church, you'll have to tell us where to put church. And that's the challenge we give the, the pastors in the informal settlement. Is, is your church relevant to the community? to that level. And this is not um, uh, making up because in the post-election violence, we saw churches demolished in Kenya. And we saw churches preserved. Preserved, why? Relevance. Demolished, why? We don't even know what is usually in this structure. That's demolition. So before anything else, the churches have to go through our Samaritan strategy training program, which takes uh, around a month uh, of training. And the pastor comes in, the pastor who comes, and another church uh, leader who comes in, uh, two or three, and they are learning uh, how the church can transform their community. Uh, pastor Minor also went through our economic empowerment program. And in that program, uh, we are talking about 70% of the youth in Korogosho being how old? 30 and below. So within his church, 
Pastor Minor started asking himself, how can, what need is there in my community? And that is quite big, the young population getting into crime. Some of, of the youth actually we saw on documentaries stealing from people or in broad daylight, especially on Sundays when people are going to churches. So Pastor Minor saw that as an initiative. What is enterprise-based vocational training? Picking young people who have gone through secondary education or primary education or, or really may not have progressed and asking them, what skill? What skill would you want to get into? A skill that will give them an income and will give them something to do. And so some of them pick uh, carpentry, some of them pick tailoring, some of them pick hairdressing, some of them pick welding, which they advance to, you know, engineering, some of them pick mechanics, and really doing great things. And so those youth and those enterprises are within the slum. So those youth pick those enterprises, just walk into there, learn for a year or two, okay, and now are skilled. And most of these entrepreneurs pick these young people to help them in their enterprise. So right there is a job, right there is a skill, right there somebody has gotten an income. So Pastor Minor, uh, his youth went through this and he's currently having 50 youth with just this one church doing this. They've also gone through savings and loans as a group. Some of us were in a workshop yesterday and we were asking ourselves, we do not have shambas in that informal settlements. We do not have pieces of land. How can we improve our nutrition, for example? And one of us saying, this is one solution of increasing the income of the people in the groups so that then they can be able to have the purchasing power of the food they want to buy. So savings and loans groups. And something that is really ingrained in our hearts and we are discovering is that if you can afford to eat a meal, you can afford to save. If you can afford to eat a meal, you can afford to save. Remember last evening we were being challenged, you know, that we should also be willing to give, to contribute towards the partnership and, and discourage the mentality of, oh, you're so poor, you don't have anything to give. But really, they do. If you can afford to have a meal, you can afford to save. And Pastor Miner's group has begun from saving, you know, two shillings in a week and to 500 Kenya shillings in a, in a week with their, own, with their own resources. And from these savings, they then borrow. They then borrow. Pastor Miner's group has also gone through advocacy, negotiating, influencing policies, uh, practices and structures. Uh, he recently held a meeting on security within his church and called policemen to come and share and the administration to come up with a way forward and businessmen. Issues around HIV and AIDS really prevalent and he also went through a one-year uh, program on how to preach and teach the word of God in context. Some of these pastors 
have the vision, have started churches, but they have never gone to any theological college. And they're really passionate about what they're doing. And so we're equipping them with the skill to be able to know how to. So Pastor Minor, after this training, he says, and let me say, tell you what he was telling us. I am totally transformed. After several trainings in advocacy, networking, and linkages, I realized that a pastor is a very influential person in the community. I realized this, and maybe we will answer it as we go along. Eh? I realized that a pastor is a very influential person in the community. I realized this by deciding to take my trainers seriously and to the test. I walked into the office of a district agricultural officer who welcomed me as a pastor into his office and was keen to hear what I had to say. I was very surprised. I did not think the government held a church or even a pastor in, in the slum in high regard. But here I was in a government office being taken very seriously. This was transforming in itself. Okay. Since then, I have had a very good relationship with the agricultural officer, who has now introduced us into urban farming. Because we have a structure around the church, we can protect the farming that we do. The provincial agriculture officer has also visited our church to see how this farming is being done in Korogosho, an informal settlement. The agricultural officer used our church as a pilot to demonstrate farming in Korogosho and is also using my services as a trainer of groups within my community. So the, church, the pastor really first and foremost having that self-worth. I can do something. Somebody can hear and I can be used. A pastor being a very important person in the community. So them doing the, the farm, the, the sack farming uh, within that small compound of the church so that again it's secure from children, from other people, from destroying uh, that. Pastor also realized that he can open his church to groups. So groups started meeting in his church his church also grew because of the work he was doing with the youth. He got a vibrant youth group. He got committed church members. And he got committed Sunday school because he was also doing some training for children. He opened his church and said, I want to do preschool for children. And when there were no teachers, he himself would teach because he had been a trained teacher before. So really... The church opened its doors, and that's actually what I was talking about. But just um, going down to the last one, the savings group. The, the group has now grown with members who have now actually bought shares in the uh, Kenya Airways uh, company. And they are now deciding to buy gas and paraffin from 
the national oil company to be selling within Korogosho and within the environs. And that's as a group. And as members, all members have started businesses. So including the pastor, including the pastor, each member has started a business so that now we are not depending on that tithe, which some of the time it's not there and may not come. But as a pastor, I can be able to make my own income. So really, uh, in conclusion, is um, we need to grow our local leaders and mainly the pastors. We need to grow them if we want to see any significant change within the slum. Grow that individual who will then grow others, who will then defend the interests of the, the, the group members and the church and the community. Again, we have learned, let the church take the lead. So that it's not about what Center for Urban Mission is doing, but really when you come, it's what that local church is doing with the community. What that means is what we were being told this morning. Dying. And, and letting them run the show. You know, sometimes we think as development workers, as you know, people who know that we know how things should be done and we know the processes and we know the order needs to follow this way so that it can have results. It means letting that go because you have empowered them and, and let them learn from their mistakes and from their lessons. I think I want to stop there and then pick that one question and other questions that may come and then we, we will stop. Maybe another two or three and then we'll stop. Um, the pastor, I actually asked him, how, how, would you, how are you surviving? And it, he told me, he was unable to explain, but really, he, he would beg. That's, that's basically how he would get through. Begging from one congregation member, from one other person, that's how he would get through. Until now, some of the learning came, you know, and he started discovering. And he himself is keeping very many chicken around that church compound. So he himself is already empowered so that then he can empower other people because others are learning from him. Yeah? And I think the fabric of that community is determined by the level of that pastor. I think that's how we have begun to, to see this. If, if this pastor is enlightened and he's growing others, then that's how the, the, the community will look like.